Friends, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, I'll be reading verses 19 to 24. Uh, I do want to welcome you all. If you are visiting today, thanks for uh, visiting. It's glad uh, We're glad to have you here. Uh, our church is working through a series in the book of Daniel, um, but as this is the last... Um, Sunday of the year, we decided to take a break. Uh, in fact, yesterday I was talking with a pastor friend of mine, uh, and I said, I can't believe this is the last sermon for the year. And then he paused and said, actually, it's the last sermon for the decade. And then I felt this incredible sense of pressure, um, <laughs> which I, I don't think I'll live up to, but that's okay. Um, and so as we are looking at Lamentations 3, we just want to spend some time in reflection and in meditation on this passage. So friends, as your act of worship, please stand with me for the reading and receiving of God's word as we hear it today from Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verses 19 and reading until verse 24. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And friends, would you join me in prayer once more as we ask the Lord's blessing upon our time now? Father, we are thankful for your faithfulness, which has seen us, Lord, through the end of this year. And now as we gather, we gather to lift up our voices to praise you in both our confessions of faith and of sin, but also in our songs of grace and praise. But we also, Lord, gather to hear your word, knowing that your word is power, it is life, and it is light. And so would you give to us, Lord, your spirit to illumine our hearts, to understand your word, that we would walk away edified and encouraged, convicted and challenged. Lord, for we know that your word, which is a double-edged sword, it both pierces, and when it seems uh, to wound, because it challenges us, it, it's also a scalpel in your hand that heals. So, Lord, would you do that work to us and in us by your spirit and your preached word this morning? We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many times have you found yourself saying something like, I can't wait for this year to be over? I can't wait until the new year. I am so done with 2019. You know, I think all of us think those kinds of things or say those kinds of things because uh, when we look and we think about the new year, we kind of understand that it's a natural way that we're turning a new leaf, that we're beginning a new chapter. And so we look forward to the end of one year and we look toward the beginning of another because it feels like we're hitting a natural reset button. And so that's why all of us, um, if you do set resolutions for better or for worse, we wait until January 1st to make those resolutions. Uh, and if you're anything like me, that actually means December becomes the laziest month of the year because everything you know you should be doing, everything that you tell yourself you will start to do, you hold off for a little bit longer until the new year comes. 
And so we look forward in our calendars to closing the final chapters on December 31st and opening a new one on January 1st. But what really is different when you wake up in the new year? Other than being more tired than usual because you stayed up late the night before, um, other than maybe having a headache because of some extracurriculars you engaged in the night before, you wake up and you don't really feel that different. That is not until you remember that it's the new year. Not until you remind yourself this is a new year and then once you remember and remind yourself, then you begin to perceive and think about and view the day differently. It's kind of like this, it's like the waking up the day after your wedding. Right after the big wedding ceremony, you wake up the next day and the first thing you feel, the only thing you really feel is exhaustion. You're just so tired. But once that passes, then you remember, oh my goodness, I'm now married. This person sleeping next to me is, is my spouse, my husband, my wife. You have to tell yourself these things. Now this next example, I feel like I just need to work this in here. Uh, our church was engaged in a, at least some of the men were engaged in a fantasy football league uh, this year. And um, it, it was there, it was, it was, I won it by the way, but, um, <laughs> but, here, but I want to thank every, for everybody for humbly uh, letting me destroy you guys uh, this past season. But I got a text message the next day from a friend saying, uh, how does it feel to be the champion of the world? And I said, well, I'm not the champion of the world, but... Quite frankly, I didn't feel any different until I remembered it, and then I felt really good. <laughs> you see, when you wake up in the new year, nothing actually feels any different until you remember, until you remind yourself, oh, this is a new year. Oh, I'm married now. And then in light of that, you begin to live differently. It's the same thing for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for those who are saved. How many of you wake up and you feel like a Christian? And what does that even mean to feel like a Christian? Do you wake up feeling holy? Do you wake up feeling the truths of God? And quite honestly, the answer is no. But you wake up and you need to remember these things. You need to remind yourself of these things. Or as the Christian lingo goes, you need to preach the gospel to yourself daily. Lamentations holds forth for us a great gospel truth, one that we need to remember and preach to ourselves, but one that's not just held for the new year, but one you rehearse every single day. Here's our gospel truth this morning. In Christ, you experience new mercies with every new morning. In Christ, you experience new mercies with every new morning. This is God's promise to you, that in Jesus Christ, you have something better than the reset button of a new year. You have new mercies for every new morning. As we begin our reflection, fill in the blanks uh, to these two things. The first is this. One word to describe 2019 is... I'll take a minute and think about that. One word to describe 2019 is... And second, 2019 was full of, full of what? Now, as I reflect on this question and think about our church, the word that came to mind for me was uh, the word new. 2019, we transitioned transitioned into a new building. 
into a new neighborhood. We have a new worship time. Our pews have been filled with new faces. Our community includes new people. We're engaging in new rhythms as a church. So that's what 2019 was for the church. Well, what about you personally? Which word would you use to describe this year? What was 2019 marked by? Or when you look back in the future at this year, what will you remember this year for? And as I'm sure with many and every year, this year was filled with a lot of different causes for joy and celebration. Or there were times, I'm sure, that you experienced life from the mountain peaks. But I know, and I'm sure there were also many moments spent in the valleys, in the shadows, in those places where it seemed like the sunlight could not reach. And I know many in our congregation feel like the longest seasons this year were spent in those kinds of valleys. And this past year, many of us grieved together and we wept together. We prayed with and for one another. We walked in and out of furnaces together. I know that for many, there are memories you want to erase from this year. There are failures you wish to forget. There are wounds you quickly want healed. There are scars you wish would disappear forever. You see, those kinds of experiences are exactly the same kind of experience the author of Lamentations describes in this passage that we read and in this book as a whole. Because if you know anything about the history of Israel at this time, the nation of Israel had experienced tremendous suffering and loss at the hands of their enemies. See, Israel was a small nation that was invaded by the foreign nation Babylon, which was the new superpower of the world. And during that invasion, when they came into Israel, uh, many Israelites were killed. Families were ripped apart and people were exiled from their homes, taken out of the land of their birth and into a foreign land. But worst of all, the real dagger in the heart is that the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed. Now, for us, that may not seem like a big deal, but you have to understand that for the Israelites, the temple was so much more than just a building. The temple, it symbolized God's presence with them. The temple is where they went to commune with God, to worship God. The temple was how they knew God was with them, that God was among them, and that God was for them. And so to be taken away from the temple and then to have the temple lay in ruins was a despairing and disheartening event. It signaled a moment of great loss, loss of hope for Israel. It's in the midst of this sorrow, in the midst of this sadness that the author writes in verse 19, read with me, remember my affliction and my wanderings. The wormwood and the gall. Right? Wormwood and gall are used in the Bibles as, as metaphors for bitterness. Wormwood is a plant which, that was extremely bitter. Gall is the bile produced in your body. And so those two words, wormwood and gall, are used to describe times of difficulty, times of hardship. And so the author is personally expressing, what he's personally experiencing is what the nation corporately was experiencing. Hurt, frustration, pain, suffering. And he's utterly hopeless, and so he continues to cry out in verse 20, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. What he's saying is, my soul is laid low, my soul is downcast, my soul is downtrodden, my soul is depressed. 
You see, what you see here in these words is a man, is a picture of a person who's just been beat up by life because everything has been thrown at him. And so he's tired and he's troubled and he's weak and he's weary and he's feeling utterly deflated and defeated and depleted. And in this way, maybe some of you can resonate with his words and with this kind of lament. You know, I think some of us, as we close this year, are feeling exactly what the author writes in verses 19 and 20. You know, for some of you, this is the transcript of your secret and private prayers to God. This is what you bring before him. These are the groans of your heart. And now for others, these words may not be what you're presently experiencing, but they do capture, summarize the dominant theme of this past year for you. Things that you were wrestling with and walking through. Maybe the tone of this passage has been the tone, the hue of 2019. And still there are some of you where these words may not be relevant to you. But, not, but they're not relevant to you now they may be very fitting words for you in the upcoming year. These may be the very expressions that you'll be searching for in months to come. And see, friends, regardless of which category you fall into, whether these are your words presently, these are your words, have been your words in the past, or these will be your words in the future, let me tell you that experiencing what this author is experiencing, this kind of desperation, this kind of dependence, is not a sign of weakness. These utterances, these laments, are not signs of, of lacking either uh, spiritual faith or inner fortitude. Right? These feelings are not indications that you lack strength at all. In fact, feeling desperate, feeling dependent, because of the onslaught of life's storms and fires, simply reveal this humbling truth about you, about me, and about all of us. And that's this. You are a fallen, broken human being living in a fallen and broken world. That's simply all it reveals. You and I are fallen, broken human beings living in a fallen and broken world. The world that the author of Lamentations inhabited, it's the same world that we live in. This world, it's complex, it's complicated because sin has entered and it's marred and infected what God created to be good. And so these things that we undergo, they're often beyond our control, they're beyond our responsibility, they're beyond our actions. You know, the world, our reality, our experiences, the entire thing, it's been spoiled by sin. It's been ruined by the entrance of this intruder and to all the good that God intended for us and for this world to be. Just a little bit of sin ruins the whole thing. You know, when I was in college, when we were immature freshmen, freshmen boys, not freshmen men, freshmen boys, what we would do in the dining hall is that anytime somebody got up to get whatever, to get more food, to use the bathroom, uh, we would pull this prank where we would take a bottle of Tabasco sauce and we would pour drops of it in their juice or their soda and then we would wait for them to come back and for them to drink it. Now admittedly, okay, maybe it was a little more than a drop. But we would do that, and then we would eagerly wait and watch to see them take a sip and either gag or spit the whole thing out. It was quite amusing for us. But even in those moments when we put just a drip, you could, you could sense it clearly that they would take a sip and they would knew automatically 
that this thing had been spoiled because one little drop can ruin the entire thing. That's how sin works in the world. Except the Bible is telling us it's not one little drop that has ruined everything in this world, but the world has been ravaged by this cancerous, infectious, rampant disease called sin. Meaning that all of God's good creation, the good intended order, has been twisted, it's been deformed. And this sin, it's, it's touched you, it's touched me, it's touched relationships, it's touched everything around us. And that's why afflictions in life and adversity that we undergo are not just the consequence of unwise decisions we've made or poor choices, that we're not always responsible for the wormwood and the gall. Sometimes life just tastes bitter because we live in a fallen and broken world. That's why our souls are downcast. They bow down within us. In fact, the very reason that we experience this kind of disappointment and this kind of frustration is because deep inside, we actually know that this world is not what it's supposed to be. So we all long for, we all dream of, we all imagine a better world and we're angry and hurt and we're confused when this world has all of its sufferings because we understand this is not the way it's supposed to be. Sin has come as an unwanted guest. And he has come and ruined and spoiled all that God meant to be good. And so here's this author, and he's looking at his situation, he's looking at Israel's circumstances, and he's overcome by the absolute brokenness of all the things around him. Now can you sense those things in your life, in your world? Perhaps those are the very things that you're hoping to leave behind in 2019, and the very things you're hoping to avoid in 2020. But the author and the way he deals and copes with this is not simply to try to forget about things that have passed, but he places his hope in something else. That he seeks comfort in something else. And we see in this scripture that it is the mercies of God. So he declares in verses 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He's sandwiched within this is the mercies of God. Now, here's the thing. We need to understand and properly uh, translate this word mercies because it can get a little confusing. Now, here at Cornerstone, we use the ESV, and so your translation uh, will most likely say mercies of God. But if you have a translation like the NIV or the NASB, uh, your version may say the compassions of God. Now, this is where it can get a little tricky um, because the Hebrew word used here actually encapsulates both meanings, both mercy and compassion. It simultaneously conveys them in one word. And that's important because when the English transla translators get to this, they have to make a decision. Which word can we translate into? Because no English word will capture both. You see, on the one hand, mercy is often used in the context of wrongdoing. Right? You show a person mercy when they've done wrong, so you're showing them leniency. Compassion, on the other hand, is used in the context of, of someone who's hurting. And so you show compassion to somebody, you're showing care and concern. Now the Hebrew word, it captures both meanings, and it does it very intentionally, something the English fails to do, but you need to be aware of this, because when God offers his mercy or his compassion, it's actually showing us that we need both. We need both mercy because we've done a wrong, and we also need compassion because we've been wronged. 
You see, if you look at this situation and what's happened to Israel, Israel has sinned. Israel is a guilty party. They disobeyed God. They acted in injustice toward their neighbors. They chased after other idols. And so they desperately need the promise of God's mercy. But on the other hand, Israel also suffered at the hands of the Babylonians. Homes were ruined, families broken apart, people taken into captivity. The temple was devastated and then destroyed. And so they also need the promise of God's compassion. And that's why when we read the word mercies here, we must keep in mind both meanings because Israel was both a sinner and a sufferer. They were both disobedient against God, but also downtrodden by their enemies. And I bring this up because what the author is experiencing and what we, uh, what the Israel is, is experiencing is exactly what we experience. Because when we participate in this complex and complicated world, uh, we're both active agents and we're passive agents. What do I mean by that? We, we both need mercy, but we also need compassion. And God is a God who offers both mercy and compassion. You see, because of our sin, aren't there times that you hurt people? And so you need the mercies of God. But on the other hand, because of others' sins, aren't there times that we are hurt people? And so we need the compassions of God. Do you see what I mean? There are times that we sin against others, and there are times that we are sinned against. We need both God's compassionate mercy and his merciful compassion. And the point the author is making is that regardless if you are more in this season a victimizer or a victim, or you somehow feel exactly the tension of both at the same time, the truth is you and I need the mercies of God every day. You need his merciful compassion to sustain you in a world where hurt and harm threaten you. But you also need his compassion and mercy to forgive you in a world where you hurt and harm others. Or you need his merciful compassion to protect you from sufferings that inflict you. But you need his compassion and mercy to pardon you from the suffering you inflict on others. And it's because we need God's mercies that the author then points out uh, two things about his mercies. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Two things we're told about the mercies of God. First, they never come to an end. God's mercies are not in limited supply. You can never run the risk of using up all of God's mercies. They're not like data on a cell phone plan. You see, when we think of God's mercies uh, as being in limited quantity, a limited supply, then, then we'll begin to exercise caution in, in accessing it because you, we become more prudent. We, we want to only go to it when absolutely necessary. It's like imagine that you are going on a six-hour hike in the middle of the day and uh, you've only packed one bottle of water. I mean, how many of you at the first rest stop one hour in will drink half the bottle and then with the other half wash your faith and pour it on your head? None of you would. You would think more um, conservatively. You'll portion it out. You'll only make use of it when necessary because you have this fear of running out. If God's mercy, if his compassions were in limited supply, then you and I would be in trouble because we'd be in constant fear of, am I going to run out? 
but by telling us his mercies never come to an end. The author is basically saying this. He's saying, you would sooner run the ocean dry of water by trying to bottle it up in a little canteen than you would run the ocean of God's never-ending mercy and compassion dry. That God's mercies never stop flowing because they come from God and he is the endless source and the endless spring. And friends, do you understand what this is promising you? That God's compassion has never come to an end, that his mercies never come to an end. It means this, God will never be fed up with you. He will never run out of mercy to show you when you mess up. He will never run out of compassion when you are hurt. <laughs> you may feel that way, and in fact, you probably do get fed up with yourself. How many times do you find yourself saying, man, I can't forgive myself? Well, because you've run out of mercy for yourself. Even I'm getting sick of me. Well, that's because you've run out of compassion for yourself. But God never says those things about you. In fact, because of the gospel, he says the very opposite. God says about you, I can forgive you this time and next time and every single time after that because I gave my son Jesus to die in your place. He paid the debt you owed. He suffered the punishment you deserve. So I have no limit as to how much mercy and compassion I can extend towards you. In fact, I want to pour out as much of it as you need. And we are in great need of it. You see, his mercies never come to an end. But not only that, we're then told that his mercies are new every morning. His mercies and his compassions, they never expire. They never go bad. That God replenishes his never-ending storehouse of mercy and compassion so that they are never expiring. They are always new. They are always available. You know, I've heard that in some households, especially with growing boys, uh, that those families go through gallons of milk like it's water. Now, some of you are in uh, houses with only boys, and you can probably remember exactly what that was like. I had a, a pastor friend of mine who had three teenage boys, and he said uh, every week they would buy about five gallons of milk a week. Five, five gallons of milk. I suggested he just... It's better to just buy a cow <laughs> and save yourself a trip to the store. Now, I can't remember the last time I bought even a whole gallon of milk for myself. Why? It's because there's something called an expiration date. Because milk goes bad and spoils. Milk is not new every morning when you open the refrigerator. It gets old, and when it hits that date, you can't drink it anymore. It's no longer available to you. It would be a big problem if God's mercy were like that. If God's mercy had an expiration date on it saying, you can access my mercy until this moment, but after that, it's no longer available. After this, you need to go get mercy somewhere else, or you need to purchase more mercy from God. Rather, the gospel is telling us that in God's mercies, that he's replenishing it every day. It's new every morning. He offers it anew and afresh because he knows you're going to need it this very morning, and he knows you're going to need it the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that. His mercies are new every morning. Friends, do you know what this means for you? New mercies for every one of our new failures. New mercies for every one of our new sins. New mercies for every one of our new acts of faithlessness. But it also means this. New compassions for every new wound. 
New compassions for every new tear. New compassions for every new sorrow. You see, this is the good news. In Jesus Christ, God offers you new mercies for every new morning. And the certainty of this promise, a never-ending, never-expiring mercy, is grounded in God's very own unchangeable character. See, if you look with me again at verses 22 and 23, the author, he sandwiches the offer of mercy between two statements. The first statement, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The last statement, great is your faithfulness. The mercies of God are offered to you certainly and most assuredly because of God's unchangeable character. You see, friends, God makes his mercies available to you, and this is very important, not based on your actions for him, but based on his affections for you. Do you understand that difference? God's mercies are available to you, not because of your actions for him, but his affections toward you. Which means God's steadfast love, his faithfulness for you, does not change depending on how you're performing for him. It's not an exchange of services. That his is an act that is selfless and unconditional. God is not angrier with you when you need more mercy from him, and he's not more pleased with you when you need less mercy from him. God is not more disappointed with you when he needs to offer you more compassion. He's not more delighted in you when he needs to offer you less compassion. Our actions, whether we think they qualify us or disqualify us from God's mercy, do not determine, they do not dictate God's love and faithfulness towards you. It's not about our actions, it's about his affections. His decision to love, his decision to commit, his decision to be faithful. And so Apostle Paul later in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this stunning truth when he says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God loved you before you ever did anything for him. In fact, Romans is saying something even further than that. That God loved you even when you were sinning against him. So then we know that Christ didn't die to make you lovable to God. Christ died for you because God loved you. You see, friends, that is an important distinction to make. That God's faithfulness, his steadfast love, and his offer of mercy is not contingent or conditioned upon your actions for him because then it would change. But it is based and grounded upon his affections for you. And in this way, because of Christ Jesus, God promises to offer to us freely and abundantly every new mercy for every new morning. And these are given to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, the face of compassion, the one who identified with us so much in our sufferings as he'd lived the life of betrayal and rejection and hardship and then suffered on the cross. Jesus Christ, the face of God's mercy, who in his substitutionary sacrificial death took our place so that we would receive forgiveness of sins. Friends, you can experience new mercies with every new morning in Christ Jesus, and that's far better than any reset button the beginning of a new year or a new decade could ever give you. 
It's my prayer for you all that as we begin, not just this new year, not just 2020, um, this new decade, that, that, that we would learn to not just let things go in the past, but look forward to new mercies to come. That we would preach the gospel to ourselves, as the very author says in verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Would you call this to mind? Friends, before you wake up and grab it for your phone, open the app, go through your schedule and your to-do list. The very first thing, this I call to mind, that you would remember and remind yourself and preach this gospel to yourself. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we close out uh, this service, but not only this service this year, Lord, we pray that by your spirit you would encourage us through your reminders, through the promises of your word, the great mercies, the unending mercies, the ever new mercies we have in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would experience that daily renewal as we remember and call it to mind what you offer and what you give to us so freely, a mercy that we do not deserve and a compassion we cannot understand. Lord, help us now and by your spirit work these truths into our hearts, we pray and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. People of God, now receive the benediction. Now may the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the steadfast love of the Lord which never ceases and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all both now and forevermore. Amen. Friends, would you hear the words of dismissal? Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace, dear friends.